of Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. Tell you what, I was blessed by the songs, and it's amazing. I love the, the, the lyrics that we sung are incredible, but also sometimes singing things that are um, bring memory or um, association. I, I know some of you probably have associations in mind when you, um, when you sing the old rugged cross. That um, I think I hear my grandpa singing the bass line is what I'm hearing in the back of my head as we sing that. Um, when we sang King of the Ages, I'm remembering singing that with our church down in Greenville and them kind of just bolting that and um, uh, just really enjoy that congregational singing. It's an important part of the church. Well, uh, we are in a series on the Lord's Prayer, walking through the Lord's Prayer word by word and uh, petition by petition. And uh, today is Palm Sunday. And the themes of the next phrase that we are at in the Lord's Prayer, the second petition, your kingdom come, uh, fit very well with the themes of Palm Sunday. And so we're going to continue with that. And uh, next week we'll have a resurrection type message, and then we'll be continuing with our Lord's Prayer series the Sunday after that. But um, really when we combine the background of the events that um, we call Palm Sunday and the background behind what Jesus is pointing out in this petition of the Lord's Prayer, they're very, very similar. And we'll remind you as we look into this that the Lord's Prayer was given in response that Jesus was teaching them about what kingdom life looks like. And really, uh, chapter the beginning of chapter 6 of Matthew 2 into chapter 7 he, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about what kingdom citizens long for and look for uh, with how they treat poor, how what they do with their own money, how they pray, and so what that looks like. And so Jesus is responding by teaching them how to pray. And so uh, let's begin by reciting together the Lord's Prayer, um, uh, and we'll just do that uh, aloud. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen, and let's uh, say that together. Here we go. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us as we look at this? I ask for filling of the Spirit. I ask for him to use his word. And we thank you for what you're going to do. And we have confidence that you will use your word. And we will have results of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we see that we are to be... um, be praying. We're, we're to be uh, things. So there are some main lessons that we've, as we've introduced this series, and the events of Palm Sunday really hit on one of those. So the three reasons and the lessons that we get from the Lord's Prayer is that we are to be praying. Jesus is saying, he, he's, not, he's assuming, when you pray, pray this way. So it's important for us, and Jesus models that for us. And, and then that we're to be guarding against temptation to pray uh, according to our flesh, and that's what was going on with um, the, he was saying, don't pray like the Pharisees, don't pray like 
them. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't uh, do this in a way. Don't be mechanical and trying to manipulate God or manipulate others or trying to impress God or impress others. That prayer is this, uh, your soul communing with God. It's not some act of persuasion or therapy or something like that. There's not, it's not just some self-expressive art form. It's not a fine art that you perform a prayer or whatnot. And it's not giving a report to God of stuff he doesn't know because he says, your father knows you have need of these things. And so, and instead, but instead what he's saying is we need to be taught how to pray. And so in response to that, um, in the, but um, we, we need, because we tend to pray like that. Um, and so, as we've said, we need to be taught how to pray because our prayer shows what we believe, that our theology and our worldview, I mean, you are displaying, you are disclosing your worldview in the way you pray, um, as, as the Latin phrase, as we pray, so we believe. J.C. Ryle said it this way, plainly, tell me what a man's prayers are, and I will soon tell you the state of his soul. And so, prayer discloses our worldview. It reveals what we really believe. It reveals, I'm going to say, our kingdom loyalties. How we pray shows where our kingdom loyalties lie. And that's really the idea of this triumphal entry, this royal procession that we see in what we call Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday is in two passages in the scripture, and we'll kind of jump around a little bit together there. Uh, It's in Luke 19 and also in John chapter 12. Let's go ahead and go to Luke's, um, Luke's account of this. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 19 and verse 28. Luke gives a little more detail. John kind of gives a summary here and those are the two, but it's seen in all the others. So Luke 19 verse 28, it says this, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Beth, Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you and where, um, and where are entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? And say this, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent away uh, and found it just as he said, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to him, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives. A whole olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is God's word. And so, so uh, the traditional calendar for events marks off um, what we call uh, Passion Week. So on Sunday is the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. On Monday is the cleansing of the temple. On Tuesday, Jesus has the controversies with the Jewish leaders. On Wednesday uh, is apparently a day of rest. On Thursday is the preparation for the Passover. Friday is the trial and crucifixion. Saturday, Jesus rests in the tomb, 
And then on Sunday, Jesus rises from the dead. Now keep in mind the Jewish day went from sundown to sunset. And so that means Thursday evening would be their Friday and as far as that part of Passover. But Jesus announces in the triumphal entry his Messiahship. And he chooses a time that all Israel would be gathered in Jerusalem. He, a place where huge crowds would be, see him. But he cl- proclaimed his mission in an unmistakable way by the way in which he entered the city on a donkey, not on a horse. The donkey was a sign of peace. The horse was the sign of war. So he doesn't come as this conquering king on a war horse. He comes as a suffering servant on the donkey. And so Palm Sunday is a Palm Sunday is a special day of celebrating this. Uh, if we don't, the rocks will cry out. It's a happy day, often including in hymns about the kingship of Jesus, flowers, dresses, purple, things like this. But we need to worship Jesus the way he wants to be worshipped and the way he declared himself to be worshipped. So it's a Sunday. So as we walk through, so John and Luke point these things out, and we looked at John's account of this back in 2016. We looked at Luke a little bit last year this time. So it's a feast. It's a feast when the population would soar. The palm branches, they had become a national symbol, primarily through the Maccabean revolt um, that drove Syrian forces out of Jerusalem about 164 B.C. Uh, You can read about that in the Maccabees if you have an Apocrypha at home. Um, and that Maccabee, 1st Maccabee 13 and 2nd Maccabee 10. Um, so when the temple was rededicated in this era, the Maccabean era, uh, palm branches were used as part of the celebration. So during both major wars with Rome, palms were stamped onto minted coins. And so palm branches have been kind of had a nationalistic identity. And so when they say Hosanna, they're basically saying Give salvation now or save us now. In Psalm 118, as we looked at a little bit this morning, part of the Hillel that they would do responsively. Um, and so, and then we see in verses 14 and 15 that Jesus comes in on a donkey's colt. And so this is prophecy from Zechariah that we alluded at the beginning in our call to worship. So it, not been, he, he, it wasn't a war horse. He came in this way. So, The disciples and the people all had a misunderstanding about Jesus at this time. They all were looking for him to bring in a nationalized kingdom, a physical kingdom. In fact, many went away from Jesus not believing after the events that we read about here after the triumphal entry. And it seems like Jesus isn't surprised by that, that many people go away without believing. And I think there's a lesson for us there, too, that we shouldn't, be res- we shouldn't be surprised of that. That Jesus' kingdom and the way he announces is not always bigger and better. That there's a humility in which he comes in on this donkey. Um, and so this is what we see. They're looking for a political king. Jesus is coming as the spiritual king. And so where this bridges to our lesson on the Lord's Prayer is that we don't always have to portray the image of success and conquering sometimes we that was a kind of a generational thing you know a certain time in business you you don't reveal any of your weaknesses right um that we always have to portray things are bigger and better you know um uh, you always have to boast that your numbers are more than they really are more members than are actually there or more this or or however that is and and the gospel lets us just be transparent and say no i we have nothing uh, that that there, there there is a we're we're freed from that. It doesn't mean metrics aren't 
helpful to evaluate health. It just means we don't compare ourselves with others. It also has something about our worldview about the type of king Jesus is, that he is the sovereign one, but we, we can't make him the sovereign on our own terms. We can't say, he's my king, but let me tell you what I want my king to be like, right? Um, he gets to break those down for us. And so when we come to the Lord's Prayer, uh, the disciples had missed this. They were looking for the physical consummation. Joseph of Arimathea missed this. The disciples, this. even after the crucifixion, when at the resurrection in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6, when he meets with his disciples, they say, Lord, will you at, at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So even after the resurrection, they're still thinking this, and Jesus has to over and over. Now, I mean, so this is, these guys are really miss, missing this. And... Um, but aren't you, uh, and aren't you glad that we're not like any of those people, right? That, that we don't kind of put Jesus and, make, and misunderstand him after he's showed us several times what type of king he is or what type of savior he is. And we're the same exact way as all these folks. Um, so what's the anecdote? I mean, if we, if we pray and we're looking for this physical, nationalized thing, um, what would be the anecdote? And I would think, and I want to submit to you, that the anecdote would be for Jesus to remind us to pray something like this. Your kingdom come. This is your kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's a time there from a human perspective of Heaven and earth, time and space, and things like that is a little uh, not explicit literally, but what God's talking about time and the realms. But um, prayer, as I said, discloses our worldview, it reveals our theology, it shows our kingdom loyalties. And there's a lot of prayers that we pray, and outside of the Lord's Prayer, there are a lot of popular prayers out there that Christians really get into, right? And I don't want to repeat what we've already talked about in the Lord's Prayer, but, but if you compare the Lord's Prayer with some of the really popular prayers and the purposes of a lot of the popular prayers, um, it's really the, op- the opposite. And sometimes they're even biblical things. Like I remember um, when there, the, the book, The Prayer of Jabez, was super popular. And that was like everybody's praying this, and there's like the 40 days of this, and pray this prayer so many times. And it was kind of, but, and, and then the one that I remember even when, like, when I was in school, and it was really popular now, and we don't really know where it came from. I, they, they think that it was um, um, one of the theologian Niebuhr, one of the more neo-Orthodox Niebuhrs, but the, what's called the serenity prayer, you know, where it's like, you know, grant me the serenity uh, to accept the things I can't hold you know, the current, you know, the, you, you know what I'm talking about. Probably, and, and, and these are the type of prayers that often become so popular. But you know what's often missing from them? I mean, not only is it opposite of what the Lord's Prayer is, like so the, the Serenity Prayer, uh, Albert Moeller points this out, that, that it, it's so much about me, grant me my serenity and my peace now, whereas the Lord's Prayer is like our Father who's in heaven. It starts out about God, not about me and my serenity. But the biggest thing is missing is there's not a king and there's not a kingdom. It's about me getting my lands expanded, me getting my weight lost, me getting my whatever it is I'm supposed to pray for, um, to uh, it, rather than God, a king and a kingdom that I submit to. Um, Dr. James Boyce said it this way. He said, unfortunately, we often pray for things 
that might take us from God, for friends that might compete for his friendship, for an ordering of events that might accomplish our plans. Instead, we must learn to begin our prayers with thoughts of God's honor and the advancement of his purposes in history. So in a nutshell, when it says, your kingdom come, in a nutshell, what that means is that we are praying a petition. This is the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, that a petition that we are desiring and longing for, may Christ establish his kingdom soon. Like we're praying, God, would you establish Christ's kingdom soon? Desiring for this future absolute reign of Jesus to come quickly. Now, this automatically brings us into the realm of future and prophecy and eschatology and end times. But I want to point out that sometimes we get so caught up in the details of eschatology that we miss out on the, what should be the yearning and the desire of it, um, that, that, that we actually want that to come. And so um, it's also hard for us to understand because we are on this earth. So when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, we, we can, we can uh, really struggle with that. And so there are folks that are liberal uh, theologians uh, that, have, uh, that would say, okay, well, we're going to advance that kingdom through social action, through political activity. We're going to bring in the kingdom that way. Uh, and that's what uh, in the last, in the 20th century, particularly in the beginning part of the 20th century, what you heard called the social gospel movement that we're going to do this and we're going to advance this. Now, they weren't all liberals that did that. There was a, a, a strong post-millennialism that came out of the 1800s and stuff like that, and it was kind of this optimism that we're advancing um, the world and we're going to make it the conditions on this, this earth so nice that Jesus is just going to come and reign. We're going to make it that great. I have a friend who's post-millennial, and uh, whenever he complains about politics, I'm always like, well, man, it's your fault. You're supposed to be bringing in the kingdom. I mean, come on. And, um, and, you need, but, and, and, so, and, and there was also, now, at the same time, you want to be charitable in this. Sometimes there were people that had this view, because um, you think about it. I mean, after the end of the 1800s, I mean, the, the Industrial Revolution, we're advancing things. We're coming up with cures for uh, or alleged cures for certain diseases. We're, uh, we're, we're finding out about certain things. We're helping things. We're advancing culture. We're inventing things. We're having indoor plumbing and electricity and, auto and horseless carriages. And, and it seems like things are really getting good. And we're seeing alliances between nations form. And, and so you could almost see where people would be like, we're going to make, the, we're, we're going to bring this kingdom to fruition. But then when you get into the beginning of the 20th century, you have what the nations that probably should be the most educated and most religious and most advanced become some of the most cruel and inhumane, and we have two world wars. And, ironic, and, and interestingly, the popularity of post-millennialism after the world wars plummeted. Because this optimism where, I mean, when you look at the horrific acts of the Holocaust and you're thinking there is no way that we are, humanity is getting better. 
And so you have that, but then you also have the other side of people that are like, that are mad that the kingdom's not here. And I mean, it's just burn this whole place and look for the better kingdom. Or we're mad that we're losing it, right? We're losing the kingdom that we had. We can see this in our hymns. You know, after the American Revolution, a lot of the English hymns had to be changed because the idea of Israel and the kingdom was synonymous with the Isles of Britain. And they, this was this. So the Americans had to kind of make them American. But then what did the Americans do? And I'm, we're part of this. That we kind of think, well, we're the, I mean, we're like the, the, the expression of the kingdom. We're the place sending out the missionaries. We're the, you know, so this is the, the Christian nation, right? And, we, and America is this. And so we kind of, it's tough for us to see that God and country distinction between the kingdom and and what's what's great about this is christians have been thinking about this for a long time and so what do you do when you're in britain in the last hundred years that 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 church attendance rates went from like the 80s and 90s down to less than five percent or america where we see it dropping just in the last you know decade or so below 50 percent and getting worse and worse and worse that was they whoa we're losing this christian influence in our country so what do you do when you see that crumbling and how do you pray your kingdom come? Well, um, Augustine, Augustine or Augustine or however you pronounce his name, he wrote about this when Rome was falling. Because they're like, I mean, Rome was to be like, the, this was, you know, the pinnacle of the Christian empire and everything like this. So he wrote in the city of God about how there, there are two cities. There's the city of man and the city of God and the city of God is eternal and the city of man is temporal and the and 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 both cities are are um uh, fueled by love man love love for man and love and the the city of God love for God and you almost see that in that dichotomy of the here and the hereafter or the age that this is world and the age to come and and so there's this tension and I, and I I I think it's uh, George Ladd uh, really helped me in my thinking about this that there's this tension of the already and the not yet that 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 we are in between those times and so we need to remember that when we pray God's kingdom come that that this sometimes you do all this thinking and study and then you come up with the same thing that was in an old gospel tune this world is not my home I'm just a passing through my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue that that this world is not we are aliens we are I mean some of you are like yeah I've seen how you act we've always thought that those people are from another planet right no we are aliens we're raising aliens we're discipling aliens we are strangers and pilgrims we are a peculiar people we are citizens of another country now Paul would be the first one to say hey we're we're citizens of heaven but then when he's saying I'm a citizen of Rome so we we are in that between we are citizens of this earth and citizens of heaven and so um we don't so don't grow too comfortable here God's blessings are ultimately outside of this world and so four points about the kingdom with our time that we have left today this is our uh, kind of the points if you want to take notes uh, there's a kingdom there that has a sovereign king Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom uh, and then I'll get to the other two so the first is that there is a kingdom there are, if there are dominant themes in the scriptures there's the gospel and the uh, Christ for us is a dominant theme of the whole Bible but the kingdom of Christ the God's kingdom the kingdom of God is another dominant theme of all of scripture 
So this kingdom of Christ, and Christ teaches it throughout the scriptures, and that provides a biblical optimism for us um, uh, when there's pessimism around us. It allows us to have a true view of history, that God's kingdom is advancing even when it seems like this world is, it, it has failed in this world. And so it gives us a, a, this is one reasons why Christian worldview, even in like how you view history, is so important that you have a linear view of history and not a cyclical or circular view. Uh, uh, of of history that, that a lot of secular historians would come and teach in the in in, in history books even something as simple as history you're like well how, how why do you have to have Christian teaching of history because Christians see history in a timeline that is consummating a kingdom um, and so um, there is a kingdom now when we see the word kingdom we often there's a, both a realm and a reign. There's the realm and a reign. And so, so when like Daniel would point out to Nebuchadnezzar that there's the king, the king of the ages, that God is king and of his kingdom, of his dominion is a good word to think of there. There is no end. So there's a realm of kingdom and then there's a reign and God's reign has always been. And so the reign and realm, I think the word dominion helps grab both of those, the dominion of God. And so... Um, so there's a, a region or land that's often under a king's authority. Uh, for instance, the, the Satan takes Jesus up to a high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Um, the, Matthew 24, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Um, uh, um, and and uh, Mark 6, and he swear unto her, whatsoever you shall ask, I will give unto thee unto half of the, my kingdom. Um, in Revelation, the fifth angel pours out a vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. But God's, the, the, the kingdom, the dominion of God, he rules or exercises authority, and he is the king. In God's kingdom, he is king. Your kingdom. So, your kingdom come. It is his kingdom. He is the king. Not me, not you, not anyone on this earth. His kingdom come. So not me and not my tribe, my people. You know, I am glad I am not God. And I am really glad some of you aren't God, right? Um, and um, so, so anyway, so that's the first point. The second point is this, that Jesus inaugurated his kingdom, but he has yet to consummate it. And this is that already, not yet. Jesus has brought in the kingdom in a lot. There are some classic dispensationalists, which is where our heritage is at this church, that would say that there was a postponement of the kingdom un- until the end of the age. Um, and so that there's no kingdom aspect right now. We're kind of caught in the middle. And, 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 and there, I can see the impulse of that in some people, but here's what I want you to get. We want to let Jesus, so when Jesus says, you need to be born again, whoever's not born again can't see the kingdom of God. Or that I am preaching when the scripture says Jesus from that point on began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That Jesus was announcing the inauguration. So you can see what's confusing because, wait, the kingdom's not here, right? And we don't see lions and lambs lying down together, right? We see a lot of bad in the world, but Jesus says he's king and he's reigning. This is where there's that tension between the already and the not yet. That he has inaugurated his kingdom, but he has yet to consummate it. So the kingdom has arrived with the king, Um, Jesus would tell his disciples. Uh, but if you cast out devils in the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. And so now then the next point is this. 
that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Matthew 18, 30, I mean John 18, 36. My kingdom is not of this world. So when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying an interim prayer. We're not going to pray that prayer in heaven. It is there. We're, he is in the kingdom. It is there. So it is an interim prayer. And it's like I said, there's this tension of we are citizens of this age, that is the city of man that is not permanent, and the city of God. Um, and I mentioned um, Augustine in the city of God. Talk, and this is when Rome was falling. And he said something in there that we tend, that, that, that one city, the city of man, is, is not going to be. It is, it is leaving. It is going. And the city of God is here and yet coming. Um, but we, send to, we tend to see the coming thing as the going thing and the going thing as the coming thing. Does that make sense? We tend to see the going thing as the coming thing and the coming thing as the going thing. And what I mean by that is we might be tempted to think like, man, people just don't go to church like they used to. We don't have, you know, the influences in this world. The, 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 the coming thing is the going thing. You know, the thing that is yet to come, but we, it keeps getting worse and worse. And, you know, that's just the way it is. And we just don't have that framework. And, you know, and we tend to see, see the going thing as the coming thing. Well, man, this is the way the world's moving. We better get ahead of the curve. I mean, this is, and we tend to, and we struggle with that, whether you're a, a very liberal and, or you're very conservative. We can see this where you get pessimistic or mad or argument, you know, on either way, but we tend to see that. But the anecdote to whatever you are on that tension of seeing the going and the coming is to pray your kingdom come because it reminds us that, the, you know, the stuff I live for in this earth, it's going. Um, the, the, the stuff that I think is not happening when I see votes or movements or things on the news, no, 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 that's going and there's a kingdom coming. And so, um, but it's not done. His kingdom is not of this world, so it's not going to be brought in. He doesn't come on a horse, comes on a donkey. It's not going to be brought in militarily or even socially. He, he, Jesus was revolutionary, but he didn't start this military revolt. So, well, wouldn't it be great if we could just elect all Christians to, to in, in politics and then have them pass a law that everybody in America has to be a Christian? No, that's not how you make Christians. It starts from the inside out that they're born again. And it's a voluntary thing. It's an individual thing. It's not done by force. And we've already learned the lessons in history when we try to have state-run governments that force religions on people. That's why we want to be the first ones to cry for religious freedom. Um, because we don't advance the kingdom militarily or politically or socially. We advance the kingdom, as Jesus said, by preaching the gospel. We advance the kingdom every time we see someone translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear light. And we preach the gospel of the kingdom. And so, um, when we pray, your kingdom come, this is really, we are um, praying for a totalitarian government to come to this earth. Think about that. That don't try to domesticate the kingdom. And sometimes we try to make it domestic how Christians can fit in here. But we, this, is a, this is a revolutionary prayer. I mean, this makes the, this is like, you know, you, you're, you, this is like you are in, like, you, you know, uh, you're in Massachusetts in the 1700s and you're saying, get rid of this king. <laughs> 
and get a different government. You're, you're in Germany in the 40s and you're praying, get rid of this regime and bring in another one. This is revolutionary type talk. I mean, so, so um, I mean, this isn't, I mean, we're Americans, right? So, so we don't like the idea of kings. We don't even like, we don't like monarchs. We don't like constitutional monarchs, much less absolute monarchs. since the monarchs, where they, whatever they say goes, right? Uh, and so it's up, down, off with their heads, thumb up, thumb down, Caesar type stuff. And we don't even, and we don't, we definitely don't like that. And then for sure, and we don't even like the idea of like, you know, a, a monarch that's just a puppet of, parliament right we don't even like that i mean we we fought against we don't want any of that but then these same americans we're praying we want to have an absolute total king over us on earth isn't that revolutionary because he's a good king because he's a sovereign king because he's the right king because he's the perfect king so this is like you're in the roman cult and you're saying jesus is lord not caesar and you know what happens when you say that or there was actually a movement within in Nazi Germany to saying Jesus is Lord, not Hitler. And they were sent off to camps along with others. Um, and so I want to remind you that this that Jesus' kingdom is not of this age. So I want you to pretend that all the wealth and things you have on this earth uh, let's pretend it's 19... Okay, so when, did, when, when was Manassas and uh, when the Confederacy um, surrender? 60, no, it wasn't 61 because we're 63. Is it 64? 65? 65? Okay, so it's, 19, it's 1864, and you pull out your wallet, if you had a wallet back then or a big purse. I know the men didn't have purses. <laughs> Rabbit trail. And all you have is Confederate money. And you just heard about Lee surrendering, right? Now's the time to do that shopping spree real quick. Because in a few months, this stuff's not worth the money it's printed on, right? The paper it's printed on. Now, I'm sure there's some people over here that think, hey, hang on to it because we're going to rise again, right? Or that we being people down there because we're West Virginia, right? We, we were on the right side. You can debate that after. I'm joking. Uh, I'm not debating that. Yeah, anyway, but here's the thing. The money you have right now, the wealth, the truck you have, the house you have, it's Confederate money. And the king's already declared that that kingdom's going to be absolved. It's done. It's not going to be worth anything at some point. So wh- what do you do with it? You, you go to the exchange and get exchanged into something. So don't lay for yourselves treasures on earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? And so the fourth point I want to point out, and this is where um, I want to take some time on this one. I think this is very important that we pray for God's kingdom to come. That the church is the present aspect of the kingdom. So the church is not the kingdom itself, okay? But the church is related to the kingdom and the church is the present aspect of the kingdom of God. It's the focus of Christ's ministry. Christ announced his kingdom. He said, uh, from the time that Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, and so the kingdom arrives with the kingdom. The, and then Matthew 16, when is speaking in terms of church discipline and where the confession of Peter, this is actually uh, Matthew 16, chapter 18 is about church discipline, but like, 
Number 16, Peter's confession. Peter says, upon this rock I'll build my church. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then in Matthew 18, um, if they neglect, meaning the third part of that church discipline, trying to restore the unrepentant one to repentance in the body, if they shall neglect to hear you, tell it to the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, let him to be to you as a, he- a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say, whatsoever you shall bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you'll loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, this is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 19, And behold, he came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. But I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And when he heard this, he was exceedingly amazed. Who then can be saved? So what was entering the kingdom? Being saved and believing on Christ. Um, Eternal life was entering into the kingdom to be saved. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So the present kingdom was the topic of discussion between the resurrection and the ascension. Acts 1, 6. And when they were gathered together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou now this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times of the season which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. This was the church. The focus in Acts was this. So when finished preaching about the kingdom, they were baptized in, Matthew, in, in Acts 8. But when they believed Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and wisdom, men and women, who are probably wise women. Um, Paul preached the kingdom. Um, so either Paul is either out of date or he's referring to the church when he says this in Acts 19. He says, And we went into the synagogues. He spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading them the things concerning the kingdom of God. Paul was arguing that the church had something to do with the present aspect of the kingdom. Acts 28. And when they had appointed him a day, there came to him many to him and to his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both of the law of Moses and out of the prophets. In the epistles, so it wasn't just an Acts thing, in the epistles, and Romans 14, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the current conditions of the church, Paul was describing as part of the kingdom of God. In Colossians 1, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So Paul, when he writes to the church at Colossae, he refers to salvation as being transfer from the kingdom of Satan to Christ's kingdom. And then in Revelation chapter 1, I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom of and patience of Jesus Christ. 
was in the isle called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He is participant in the kingdom of Jesus. So, the kingdom is the primary term Jesus uses about it in the Gospels, but the church becomes the primary term in the, in the Acts and the Apostles. So the church is the present, and we'll submit this to you, is the present aspect of the kingdom. And we advance the church, we advance the kingdom one soul at a time. We advance it one soul at a time. So when we pray, your kingdom come, there's an evangelistic impulse. There's an advance that, that we want others to submit to this. There is a cry that comes this. The king is coming. He's going to bring it. So now he came on the donkey, but he's going to come again on the horse. We see in Revelation, he comes that way. Now, I want to read this in um, uh, Piper's book, God is the Gospel, uh, about proclamation and ex- uh, of, of the gospel. And he, he mentions about this that, you know, we want to be, say we're God-centered, but then we really want to be like these, the Jews and th- that we want the king to be like us, but we only need to be submissive to him. But so when we go out and herald the gospel, it's almost like if you can think, of, I was thinking in king terms, of like a herald kind of in a medieval castle before you had Twitter and uh, email and things like this where the king could tweet about what they were going to plan, right? Um, <laughs> um, that if you imagine the town crier crying out to this, and I love how Piper put this. I just wanted to read this. Imagine this town crier as we would herald the gospel of our king and advance his kingdom. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, all rebels, insurgents, and dissidents, and protesters against the king. Hear the royal decree. A great day of reckoning is coming, a day of justice and vengeance. But now hear this, all inhabitants of the king's realm. Amnesty is herewith punished by the mercy of your sovereign. A great a price has been paid. All debts may be forgiven. All rebellion absolved. All dishonor pardoned. None is excluded from this offer. Lay down the weapons of rebellion. Kneel in submission. Receive the royal amnesty as a gift of imperial love. Swear featly to your sovereign and rise a free and happy subject of your king. Isn't that a cool way to think of announcing to uh, the gospel? That where this king is coming, and you, sinner, me, sinner, are rebels against the cause of this king, but this king offers amnesty because a price has been paid. And if you'll receive this gift that he's offered to you in his son, and you'll believe it by faith, he will give you full pardon. And he will bring you into his kingdom. And he will offer this and make you one of his children. Isn't that a great way to think about heralding the gospel of the kingdom? And so when you witness, when you sit down by someone on lunch break and, you, and you're trying to muster up the, all the energy for that little awkward moment of, hey, what you're reading? Or, hey, would you want to come to church with me next Sunday for Easter? That, that, that imagine yourself as the herald of the king who's yet to come. That you're saying, hey, I'm letting you know this king's offering this to you. And there ought to be some, we're called ambassadors, right? That, that, that we, there should be some boldness that comes with this as we proclaim the gospel of King Jesus. And so, if prayer discloses our worldview and reveals our thoughts and our kingdom loyalty, would we pray the way Jesus said 
may Christ establish his kingdom soon. Your kingdom come. Um, Moeller said this of the Lord's Prayer. He says, the Lord's Prayer is for those that hold firmly that Jesus has inaugurated a kingdom, has risen from the dead, reigns at the right hand of God, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. The Lord's Prayer is for revolutionaries, for men and women who want to see the kingdoms of this world give way to the kingdoms of our Lord. And so when you pray, you're being revolutionary when you pray, your kingdom comes. So sometimes this is hard for us because the city of man, for us right now, as Americans, we kind of like it, right? We're like, hey, I got house, car, family, whatever. And, but you might be in another situation where so, there are persecuted Christians or hungry Christians that they long for the coming of the age to come. And we need to pray that way. And we see this, you know, uh, in um, It Is Well With My Soul. And he talks about uh, the trials of his life. And, you know, of course, you know the story of um, his family going down at sea. But that last verse, it says, When Lord haste the day, um, when, when triumphs shall see, uh, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Now in the old hymnals, they'll make sure even so is in quotations, right? Because even so is a quotation from Revelation from that phrase Maranatha, which means even so, come quickly. And that's really the idea of when we're saying, your kingdom come. But, but come, come, Lord, we, we want that to happen. And so is that your heart there? So a few words of application just for you to ask yourself as we respond. Are you a servant of the king of kings? Are you a citizen of the king? Are you only a citizen of the city of man? Are you saved? He invites you. He offers pardon. He offers forgiveness. He invites you to be a part of it. The king is inviting you. A royal invitation that is extended to you. Are you a servant of the king? And if you are a Christian and you name that, is he your king in the true sense? Is he the Lord? And you can't separate him. Well, I'll have him be my savior, but not my king or my Lord. It's a package deal. So is he in charge? Is he sovereign in your life? Have you submitted your life? What area of your life is not submitted to the king? By the way you live, if someone was watching you, and they are, which kingdom do they think you serve the most? And, and, and you can tell that by how, what we get emotional about, right? You know, if, if we're always, you know, up in arms, and I complain about politics as much as anyone, so I'm just as guilty. But if we're always like, oh man, we used to have such a great nation, and our state used to be so, and, 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 and if those Democrats hadn't run businesses away, this would be a great economy in this state. And if this hadn't happened, and we're all mad about that, right? Well, which kingdom does it seem like I'm more concerned about? The kingdom of man, the city of man, or the city of God? And be careful about that. And I'm not saying, or vice versa. It might be like, oh man, those tyrants, and they're not giving people their rights, and they're not, you know, or whatever side of the equation it is, whether it be politically or business-wise or economically, or maybe just a, a labor organization that doesn't have control or needs to have more control, or which city is, which kingdom are you most loyal to? by your emotions. Um, and I ask you, do you have a burden for the world? 
your kingdom come. I mean, this is primarily in evangelism, but it's also in, this is how we, we, we want, we vote with kingdom ethics, okay? Uh, we vote with kingdom ethics. He sets what ethics are. He sets what right and wrong are. He gets to define institutions he created, not us, right? He gets to say what life is and what life is not. And we vote and speak and live according to the dictates of the king. And then finally, do you have confidence that God controls all things? That he is king? That he really, that, that he, that he, though his realm might be mixed, his dominion is still over this age? And he will one day make it right. And he will rule and consummate this kingdom. But it's already and not yet. And so have confidence in our king. Because scriptures warn us of times to come. The things and, and the way um, uh, living in America, there will probably be a time before I retire that you'll be persecuted for believing this book in this country. And, and you need to be ready for that and believe that the king is still there. That he is coming. And we await a conquering king. So he came the first time on the donkey. He'll come back on a horse. And we need to proclaim the gospel of peace, the good news of this king, and offer it to all. And I hope we will pray and think this this way. Let's close in prayer. Let's take a few moments just to respond in our hearts before we pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you have some areas of your life that this hit on that you need to surrender to the king. Maybe you need to become a, a, a subject of the king and be saved. Maybe you need to make this heart of this petition, your kingdom come, be part of your heart's desires. Our King, there are so many implications of this petition in the prayer that you gave us to teach us to pray. And so you are our corporate Father that only by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are in heaven. You are sovereign and transcendent over all. And we ask for your name to be hallowed in this world, in our hearts, in our church. And we long for your kingdom to come quickly. Lord, we want to submit to you and want you to be the sovereign ruler of our hearts and of our church. Lord, help us to be loyal citizens of your kingdom and not the, the kingdoms of, that we make in our own minds, our own institutions. And we're dual citizens, and we should be good citizens here, but we know our permanent citizenship is in the one to come. And we ask that you would remind us of that this week. Help us not be so confused about the nature of your royal triumphal entry. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close singing the doxology after which we'll be dismissed. So let's stand together.